Welcome to Downstream from Religion podcast. In this podcast, we are going to study the book of Judges to see how it uniquely unfolds to highlight problems that exactly parallel the problems in our times, while at the same time uniquely giving solutions that we can apply. A little about myself. I am an ordained rabbi and a licensed psychotherapist. I have had the benefit of studying with some incredible teachers with incredible minds, and I am very excited to bring you some of the essential ideas that I have put together, God willing. This is dedicated to my cousin Erin, E-R-I-N, who inspired me to go full throttle here. I hope to have her on this podcast and some other ones. You know, Breitbart said that politics, politics is downstream from culture, meaning to change politics one has to change culture first. It has been equally said that culture is downstream from religion, hence the name of the podcast, Downstream from Religion. This means that a lack of dedication to morality leads to a breakdown in culture. Lack of scruples leads to destructive culture. It is with this lens that we turn to the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, if you were to picture a map of the Holy Land of Israel, picture a triangle imposed on the Holy Land. Hopefully you've seen it. The point is pointing to the left, and the long side is on the right, so the triangle is standing on the side. This land is full of the tribes of Israel, but at the same time, it is also filled with cities and some city-states full of idolatrous nations, people who would sacrifice their children, people who would tattoo and scar their bodies, they would be unfaithful, all sort of depraved behavior, cutting people, kidnapping. The Jewish people were supposed to drive out all of those nations and settle in the land of Israel. We must understand the background behind what happened that began these pockets of idolatry, the religion turned wrong, which created a downstream of awful culture. Leaving these nations there was like leaving poor religion there, bad religion, destructive religion, which automatically cannot be stopped. It is ultimately a full of streams that lead to depraved culture. Let us go back to the book of Joshua, the book that precedes the book of Judges. In the book of Joshua, we find a very strong leader. However, he compromises. Think of an analogy where you have an owner of a company, underneath him is a manager, and below him is the worker, the direct report. When the direct report does not finish his project, it is his responsibility or her responsibility. It is also the responsibility of the manager at the same time, it is sort of an organizational synergistic system that goes on. This is what happened with Joshua. Joshua, we see in the text, pushing the Jewish people to go and to finish the job. Some of the tribes of Israel push themselves and go forth in the land, and some don't. Joshua says to them, well, make a commitment to me that you will later wipe out these idolatrous nations. They say, yes, we will. However, Joshua here, although he's a great leader, he does not embody the full strength and assertiveness, extreme assertiveness, 
of his great-great-grandfather, Joseph. Joshua comes from Ephraim. Joseph was someone who was very dynamic, charismatic, a strong leadership type, a strong CEO who promoted individuality. But at the end of his life, um, we see him really taking the reins of Egypt in a strong fashion. Whereas Joshua, his name is Bin Nun. He is the son of intuition. He is someone who the Jewish sages describe as someone who is able to understand people based on their personality. He was the best person at the time. God did not want to bring a stronger leader. We have a Jewish tradition that seven strong shepherds were supposed to come who are unparalleled. More on that in a few minutes. But Joshua did the best he could, and he made a crucial mistake. Again, we don't criticize the biblical leaders out of hand. We know they were greater than any of us today. We learn lessons from them with respect. The respectful lesson here is that, for example, when one makes an agreement with a child in the style of a parenting system such as positive discipline, I highly recommend this system, someone needs to make an agreement with their child in an area that's not a danger. They might make an agreement on one Sunday about cleaning up the room and follow up the next Sunday. They might make an agreement about making lunch for the next day and follow up. This, this prevents the parent from having to be too nice or to yell and scream or, God forbid, strike a child. Throw in your search engine positive discipline agreements, and you'll see it's a very good middle-of-the-road method to follow up. But here, Joshua is an intuitive, humanistically inclined psychologist type, psychological consultant type, was unable to push through and to be assertive, dare I say, healthily aggressive, to push the tribes to conquer Israel. When conquering Israel is essential to drive out danger. When there's danger involved, agreements go out the window. There needs to be some forcefulness, some seriousness. In our case of parenting, a little bit of raising of the voice, lifting up a child and moving them. Here, Joshua, as the leader, makeshift interim king-ish person, should have put his foot down and been very assertive about this, that people need to drive out the danger of idolatry from their midst. And this leads them, as we see in chapter 1 of Judges through 2, that they do not drive out the tribes in order that they take taxes from them, even though it's not written that taxes are taken in every single one of the tribes. It is understood in the Jewish tradition that this was so. I think with other tribes, if you look at a map, and I highly recommend people buying this uh, Dot Micro Bible, D-A-A-T-M-I-K-R-A Bible, Atlas. They have an English version now. It's from Jerusalem. The Mossad Harav Kuk, the foundation for Rabbi Kuk from Jerusalem. It brings very good uh, explanations and explanations and narratives of the stories that happened kosherly without uh, blasphemy, but synthesizing them with um, solid archaeology. Um, and if you, there's a map on page 137 that has the Philistines, the Plishtim, and the Sidonites. I don't know how to use Sidonites. But we see these large city-states within Israel. I assume that these were very uh, mighty nations, as we know the Philistines were, the, the Sidonites were. Sidonim, 
And if Israel was only wielding Joshua's strength and not King David's full kingly commanding strength, I, I really think that they had a hard time uh, driving out these mighty nations who were ferocious. So they did not have the correct uh, leadership at the time, unfortunately. And they left these nations over here. So let's segue into these seven uh, shepherds, we call them. In Judaism, these shepherds embodied seven uh, traits that are um, holy um, methodologies within the world. Uh, God has these methodologies, and they're highlighted in the Jewish Kabbalah, the mystical tradition. They're found in, um, of course, in uh, arch Jungian archetypes and uh, other discipline, disciplines throughout the world. In seven, in Christianity, seven is an important number, and on and on in different faiths. So we believe that in, um, in religion that these are highly holy, sacred practices and, and, and uh, symbolic um, essences. And there are four underlying building blocks behind them. So we believe that Abraham came along and he really um, tore away from idolatry, uh, moving across Mesopotamia to Israel. He embodied what we would call supporting life, humanistic giving, supporting life at all costs. Uh, Isaac embodied um, safety and protection. And also he, his life was very similar to Abraham, almost identical. So he also embodied sort of a healthy imitation. If a business is going well, the business is going well, don't change a thing. Isaac, and then we go to Jacob. Jacob embodied uh, symbolism and metaphor and creativity, which is directly related to uh, infusing the spiritual and the mundane, doing a mundane activity with a religious item uh, that's connected to the spiritual realm. Moses embodies holy education. Aaron embodies holy giving of to other people, he, uh, running to do emotional, empathetic giving. Joseph embodied uniting different parts, being innovative, out of the box, uniting different parts of a whole. And King David was the epitomal king, kingliness, commanding nature. Uh, you can go and see these in all different sorts of archetypes. And there are also four sort of building blocks behind these archetypes. They're called the upper spheres in Kabbalah. These are all spherot. You may have heard of them. Um... There is, Chachamai would translate that as analytical knowledge, factual knowledge. Bina, this relates generally to the auditory faculty. As intuition or the physical body, kinesthetic, also comparing physical objects. Dot is uh, the visual capacity, uh, going beyond oneself, connecting beyond oneself, pictures, visuals. And Keter, which means crown, is only related to uh, kingliness. That is uh, sort of taking information through one particular person's ego and inner essence. I would use the term ego reflection. I believe it's already taken. So these, if you know, if you can bring these 11 ideas with you, and I will repeat them throughout, so you don't have to go necessarily and rewind and, and memorize. But if you do, great, more power to you. Uh, if we're going to use these 11 ideas to understand in the book of Judges that there were not just random old people with cloaks and long hair 
and uh, ultra-Orthodox sidelocks coming along to fight against the evil enemies, but each and every enemy was sent by God to teach them a lesson. Each and every judge came along to highlight an important lesson, to, to teach them something, to infuse something within them. And ultimately, in order to get to having a king, which only comes later, it is not only uniting all the cubits of land within the Holy Land, but there's a specific process that has to take place in order to get to the end. You know, paralleling the progression of a storyline, paralleling the lifespan of a person, there's a universal development that is based in the holy DNA of the universe. And that progression is from Abraham to David, from basic to protection to symbolism to education. All these elements have to be in a society for it to, to function. We cannot just have one strong warrior come, a flash in the pan, that would bring goodness. Because under that is corruption, idolatry, and evil. There must be actually a upside-down book growth from the bottom of the pyramid to the top in order to bring the structure. And if we can remember this order, and I will again, I will, will repeat myself, we can understand the beautiful progression of the book of Judges and why each and every judge and the adversary is important. Speaking of idolatry, I'm going to do only one introduction here compared to the Hebrew version, which is over at the, the Seven Ways podcast, the Jewish version, not in, entirely in Hebrew, English with Hebrew words, but here we're doing the general audience uh, version, which is friendly for anyone of any faith or, or agnostics or um, even atheists, but especially for the Christian audience or other um other faiths that would like to join. Uh, many faiths have this book, and this book is not just a repetition of little peace and harmony and then times of war. No, no, no. It's groundbreaking. But we must get into the idea of idolatry in order to understand the impact of this book. So we need to understand, why in the world would someone bow down to a piece of wood, a stone, some gold? Why would people mutilate themselves and give up their children uh, in order to appease some fake god. I mean, especially today, are we not all educated? Someone passes 8th grade, 12th grade, have a degree, graduate degree. Don't we know better? Well, it turns out that wise people before us knew a lot better than us. We have an interesting passage in the Talmud that Rabbi Ashi, who lived in Talmudic times, ends up having a dream where King Manasseh comes to him and says to him, I actually know more about religion than you. And if you lived in my times, you would pull up the hem of your cloak. you pull up your coattails to run after idolatry just like I have done. Powerful. Unbelievable. It's not only a mistake to think that a golden statue is God rather than a transcendental being. It is a pull that draws us in. And you can go on Amazon and, God forbid, there are statues of all these idolatrous beings. This Baphomet that's popular, the erection of Baphomet in major cities in America. My goodness. So we must understand this. It's, it's actually imperative. It floods our society. So actually, Maimonides has a beautiful Rambam. Maimonides, the, one of the greatest minds in Jewish history, in, in the history of the world lived in the Middle Ages, and he writes a sort of history 
of idolatry. He says that originally everybody believed in God. But over time, people made a mistake, legitimately, and they began to say, well, we worship God, but we have to worship his subordinates. So they worship the moon and the stars and the lower beings and spheres and things. After that, people among them who were lying prophets came along and they said, you know, the gods are unhappy. We have to appease them. And they made up forms of worship. And they also, I'm adding this in, they began to get power. I'm reading into this, but this is what he's implying. They began to get power as the leaders of the idolatrous groups. This is what we call a Hegelian dialectic. The philosopher Hegel. And it's going on in our times. I sit here in April of 2021. Strong leaders, powerful governments come along and create a problem. People clamor for a solution. And government or powerful people provide a solution that's good for them. Not really good for the people. Not pure of heart. That began with idolatrous thoughts. And if one looks in the book of Leviticus, this begins to answer a tremendous textual series of questions. And we can begin to understand why idolatry would exist. If you go to Leviticus 16 through 22, and even beyond that, there appear to be many laws that are mixed and matched together, seemingly not smoothly related. Included are laws against idolatry, forbidden intimate relationships, interpersonal commandments, and the holiness of the land of Israel. However, if you begin to understand idolatry in two initial ways, they completely make sense. One type of idolatry is this Hegelian dialectic where a group will create essentially a cult behavior to exercise power over people, that makes logical sense. They will convince people that there is some sort of uh, non-transcendental God, not the God we pray to, they're, they're just earthly gods, and they'll put into them metaphors and uh, frightening images, and that creates a type of group death worship cult. Uh, and you constantly see with these idolatrous groups, it's initiation, they have to do bad things, they have to you know, keep harming the self and getting involved in, in uh, dark issues. Um, and the other type of idolatry is the corruption of the individual. If someone keeps doing bad behavior, they must forget about the God we know and those laws and they must begin to worship something else, God forbid, to justify that. Oh, this other God is okay with that. They want me to do it. And that, that sends them down a path of you know, cognitive dissonance. They can't have two contradictory ideas in their head. They must uh, you know, move towards uh, self-destruction and amelioration because their desires get worse and worse. Their behaviors get more depraved. And that leads to the individual uh, worshiping something else. And in Deuteronomy, it mentions idolatry right next to the Levites. I believe that reason is idolatry can also be a hierarchical system. These, these ancient priests would 
have a lot of power. They would tell the king to sacrifice their child. They would have often even medicine, uh, educational knowledge. Um, so they would justify their behavior by creating these other false gods, lowercase g gods. And many people who do idolatry don't even believe in that. They just want to exercise the power and become greedy and nasty and, and serpentine. You know, some people believe in black magic and even that some sort of uh, serp serpents uh, around the earth have taken over people. I personally believe that the, you know, the Garden of Eden has a snake. He, in my tradition, people like Maimonides believe he's the metaphor for the um, evil inclination. When people give in to their evil inclination, they become more serpentine and, and slick and sneaky and the look even changes a little bit. It comes from within the person. Returning to the idea of modern-day idolatry, with these explanations, we can readily understand how even today people worship idols. You know, a lot of children recently have been rescued from child trafficking, thank God. I won't go into the horrors, but they keep finding satanic imagery, satanic temples surrounding these things. It goes hand in hand. When someone is so depraved, they do bad things, they have to get involved in idol worship and in a devil worship. So the tattoos that go along with these traffickers have to do with the angel of death, um, etc., etc. Um, it's one and the same. There's, there's, people are depraved. They hate themselves. So therefore they go and they want to hurt innocents and hurt people. So... In Leviticus 18, and before that, it speaks about not eating blood and some offerings. So, um, as Maimonides writes in the Guide to the Perplexed, very aptly, um, people used to get together and drink blood and use animals and various things to do uh, depraved practices. So these are expressly forbidden here. Maimonides writes in the Guide for the Perplexed, Ideally, animal sacrifice was not supposed to be the ideal form of worship. It was supposed to be prayer and meditation. However, at the time the Torah, the Bible, and the laws were given to the Jewish people, the Jewish people were worshipping idols and bringing sacrifices. So God does not want to directly change human nature. He pointed, so to speak, the sacrifice at him to make it into a holy activity. A little more background here. And this will get into the archetypes of idolatry. On the holiest day of the year, the Jewish people take, when they have a temple, they take a goat and throw it to off a cliff. And they take a goat and they offer it to God. Very strange. We have to understand that idols are created in the image of the people that make them or the dreams of people that make them. If someone wants a hero to save them, they'll make a hero idol. If someone wants a feminine archetype to come and coddle them and save them, they'll make that. They worship trees, this you know, lower G goddess of nature and this, God forbid, these sort of things. So people create the idol in, in what's on their mind. The idol is an extension of the unhealthy psychology. If someone hates themselves, they'll make an ugly idol. 
And the ugliest thing that people can find, I believe, is this goat. It has horns, and it's ugly, and hair, and nasty. That's why the Baphomet is a goat. And this, I believe this is why, on the holiest day of the year, there's, there are two goats. The goat thrown to die represents the fact that we need to get rid of ugliness from our being. If we feel bad, we should not hurt others. We need to become pure and giving. But we also have to remember that everything in creation is actually beautiful. And we take that goat who is beautiful in his own way because he's God's creation. And we give it as an offering to God. In that way, it's a double lesson to push the mind through the mental contradiction to heal. Getting rid of ugliness but realizing everything can be pure. Going back to these chapters in Leviticus. So these... All these chapters make tremendous sense. They relate to idolatry, offering offering sacrifices was turned holy by God. We don't do it nowadays. There's no temple. We just we just pray. But offering sacrifices to God was a holy activity, and that actually helps our unconscious mind. And our sages say, if we study about the sacrifices today, it's as if we brought them. Because we need to extricate the images from our mind. We must get rid of the nastiness from ourselves. Bringing those animals is not just some ancient gross activity. Within our own minds is the ability to do idolatry or to bring animal sacrifice. We think it's not true. We're so educated nowadays. That is a falsehood. We have to get rid of the animal soul from ourselves and be human, higher level functioning. Get rid of the ugliness. Get rid of the fantasies of saviors coming to save us. And that will save us as an individual. That is chapters 18 and before and after. Drinking blood, doing these dark rituals, give people a psychologically a very dark spirit. So the forbidden intimate relationships relate to idolatry. They used to do those activities in the temple. Interpersonal laws relate to being anti-idolatry, not harming the individual, not brainwashing them through power and control. Circling back to the dark rituals, there is a discussion in Jewish tradition as to whether there is such a thing as black magic, meaning when idolatrous people or people like the necromancers in Exodus, the book of Exodus in Egypt, and on and on, we're doing spells. Do those have an effect? Some people say there is such a thing that God allows in the world. Others, like Maimonides, Rambam, say there is not. So if you take the opinion there is black magic, straightforward, pretty straightforward. I think it's fascinating if you take the opinion that it's all sleight of hand. The Talmud says that someone used to go, people used to go into a cemetery all night to get a spirit of impurity that's not talking about dark rituals it's actually talking about the human mind getting into dark moods and this happens when there are people who are harmed through these cults who are obsessed with satan satanism who are obsessed with death they become mentally changed by this there's a dark spirit within their mind and within their behavior so these commandments are anti-idolatry, anti-dark rituals and dark behaviors. We need to 
fight against it, to extricate it from our being even today. Not to be obsessed with death, not to harm ourselves, to heal. If it takes therapy, if it takes religion, worship, if it takes help from above, we must purify our souls not to want to be obsessed with death and harm ourselves. And we have to cure that dark spirit. And later on, the chapter about holiness, which is Kadoshim, holy people in Hebrew. This whole portion where we, we read, it's called Kadoshim, holiness. That is preventing groups from becoming death cults. That's what that's what it is. We believe the evil inclination is inside of a person. The Satan, the, the uh, adversary, the Satan, we believe is within people to do damage. And Christians and others believe it's a force in the universe. It's really the same pattern. It's crazy. It comes to highlight ugliness and to make people hate themselves and hate others. Let's pass it along. I'm miserable. You be miserable. Hurt people hurt people. The man, Anna, his name is Anna, who created mules, was he, he himself was an illegitimate child. He was created, damaged, he damaged creation. And Anna, Anna Freud, talked about identification with the aggressor. You know, if someone hurts me, I can either be weak or I can be like them. I'm going to hurt somebody else. Oh, I'm strong. Her father, Sigmund Freud, talked about the repetition compulsion. We're in a trauma. We go back to that trauma. Later on, he wrote that he believes the idea is that we're supposed to fix that. So nowadays, this phenomenon exists. Culture is downstream from religion. We have people... Um, all around us who had no father figure, harmful father figures. They're taught that men are awful. They're not taught that people all need to work on themselves and to be in a healthy home. This leads to people involved in gangs, viewing the gang leader as their father. This leads to people destroying cities, being paid to do so, being led along and strung along. It can happen amongst the educated or amongst high professionals. It's all layers of society and if people are so open-minded that their brains fall out that doesn't help it just leads to the source of everything the religion being compromised absolute morality turning into relativistic morals and culture and politics soon erode to create a destructive unhealthy society what you end up with all the way downstream is a toxic waste dump the Book of Judges is a set of filters to clean out the death, harm, and irrational imagination of idolatry. The filter can be used even on our own souls and minds to cleanse our culture. This was the introduction to Downstream from Culture. Feel free to email me, rabbi at rabbibailey.com. I look forward to hearing from you and to recording more episodes in this series. May God bless you.